deserves all our glory, all the honor, all the praise. It's him that lifted us up out of the miry clay where we deserve to wallow all the days of our lives, but God had grace. But God who was rich in mercy by this great love wherewith he loved us. Amen. Isn't he wonderful? Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. I won't prolong the song service anymore. Amen. I apologize for taking so long to get up here. I didn't plan on that until the Lord said, that's the wrong title, change the title, and add these other quotes. So here we are. <laughs> but uh, we'll just trust in the Lord. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Familiar text to all of us. I believe. Amen. Amen. First John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. Let's bow our heads together, if you would. Maybe if you have a need on your heart tonight and you just want to ask, remember in prayer, you want to slip up your hand and say, Lord, would you come by my way tonight? Speak to me. I thank the Lord. His presence is here tonight. But we want to invite him, not just into this building, but into our hearts and ask him to come by our way. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, how we love you, Lord. Lord, I pray you just quieten our spirits, Lord, and help us to step aside, Lord, out of the cares of this world and the goings-on in our lives, Lord, and what's happening around us, Father, and just shut ourselves in with you tonight. Lord, we love you with all our heart, Lord, our soul and our mind, Lord. Father, because we love you that way, we also we come with a love for one another. Lord Jesus, I even think of Sister Cheryl, Lord. I haven't heard from her in many a long time, but Lord, I pray for her, Lord, and her husband, Father. I know she's got children she's burdened for, Lord. I pray you come by their way in that family. Be merciful, Father. 
Lord, we just commit them into your hands. Remember now this service, the speaking of the word, the hearing of it. You see every hand that's raised, Lord, every heart that's represented, Lord. We invite you, Holy Spirit. Fill us once more, Lord, we pray, as we surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may have your seats if you'd like. And Brother Jeff, if you could just turn my monitors down a bit, I feel like I'm hitting myself in the face right now. It's quite loud. Amen. I want if you'd turn with me to Romans chapter 9 as well, if you would. Sorry, I didn't give you this, Brother Danny. Romans chapter 9. Verse 7. It says, Neither because they are seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, and as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Amen. Amen. If we just stop there for a moment as we... I, I, this is the title the Lord gave me just in the back office of, of what to title it tonight and, and to take it this way, Twins Birthed with Twin Purposes. Twins Birthed with Twin Purposes. And I want to just take it as maybe if you turn in your Bible as I begin to speak, if you turn to John chapter 17, we'll read there as well and, and take this in a way of, of unity as well, which is just to bring it in this way. But um, as we read this in Romans chapter 9, as, as Paul would begin to write, and he really, he's beginning to talk about something we know very well as predestination. This is as it's written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This wasn't when they were humans. This wasn't when they were even birthed. This wasn't even when they were in the womb. But this was before they were ever conceived. Before they were ever even in the womb, God knew exactly what was going to happen, exactly who he would love, exactly who he would hate. And even we know Brother Branham would talk about predestination and say he doesn't believe in the pre-existence of souls, and neither do we believe in the pre-existence of souls. But rather, the only pre-existence we have is that the seed gene that is within us of God, it was come from God, and that seed must go back to God. Amen. That's the part that is eternal, because that is the attribute of God that he he put within us when we were born, when we took that breath of life and there comes something into us that, that he said, this is the one that I've chosen because God before the foundation of the world knew all those that are his. So even he could speak in such harsh terms, it seems, in such contradictions when twins were born, he would say, one I love and one I hate. 
For most of us, and I would say for all of us as human beings, we need to see the way things work out to know who we love. And maybe we'll just like that individual. Maybe we'll just this. But for God, he could speak in absolute terms because he knows all things. Because he knew exactly the way it would be. He could speak by his foreknowledge and know, Esau, I hate them. I hate the way he is. I hate the way his, his mannerisms are. Why? Because he expressed it then through Jesus when Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus turned to him and said, Satan, thou art an offense to me. But why was he an offense? Because you don't savor the things of God, but you savor the things of man. Amen. And then there's something about it when, um, um, as, as, as it would write, read about in Romans chapter 8, it would say, For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Amen. In other words, that word enmity means that it's hostile towards God by its very nature. It's hostile by nature, not because you had to work your way into it or you did something to be hostile, but the carnal mind, just by being carnal by its own nature of it, to God it's hostile because God doesn't operate by our carnality. God operates by His Spirit. God operates by individuals that would be able to surrender to Him and allow God to work through Him. And He knows those who will surrender, therefore He puts something in them at their birth to that called the sieging of God which came from God and was in the mind of God and because you were in the mind of God he knew who you were who you will be everything you will go through to bring you to a place so he could call you to his own so he could call you to, into the family of God so he could call you to be a child of God but as brother Branham would say it wasn't that you became sons of God he would say you always were sons of God not because I was born naturally a son of God but because there was a seed of God put in me that was a part of him and because it was it came out of him that it was birthed of him Amen. But the new birth had to be because when the spirit had to come to that body the seed gene that he put in me in order to bring it to life Hallelujah Amen. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. In other words, if so be that that Spirit of God has come and quickened the seed that's within you, you cannot walk any other way but according to the Spirit, the nature that is within you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Amen. We're very familiar with that. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
Amen. Then he that raised up Christ, Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now just the verse previously that we're very familiar with, it speaks about how that the flesh, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But it says, if the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, that same body that was dead once in sin, now it becomes quickened to life and becomes instruments of righteousness. It becomes quick. In other words, it becomes brought in line with the word of God. Hallelujah. The lips that once lied don't lie anymore. The hands that once did evil things don't do evil things anymore. The feet that once went evil places don't go evil places anymore. Why? Because there's a new nature on the inside that's changed the desires from who we once were to who we were always meant to be because, beloved, you are now the sons of God. Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles open to John chapter 17, maybe we'll just read this here for a while. We'll start out in verse 1. You've all got your Bibles there. I don't. There we go. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, and thy son also may, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Hallelujah. That's the reality of John chapter 3 and verse 16. That he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. It says, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee and all the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Amen. So he's looking back to the, the predestination, looking back to the seed, because he was the Logos that came out from God. He didn't skip his theophany. He came through his theophany into the, the mortal body. We bypassed our theophany, came into it, but he knew the glory that he had. And now he says, now glory, now's the time, now's the season, bring me back to this. He's beginning to speak of it, of the glory that he has, the Son and the Father, as they are one, as they moved as one, and as he glorifies, the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father. And he begins to speak of it this way in his prayer and say, now this is the oneness that we had. But he begins to change his prayer from this into praying for us. And he says, I have manifested thy name unto the man which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gave them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. That's the, that's the testimony of a real believer. Amen. What did they receive? He's not saying, I came and I showed them great things. He says, I gave them the word that you gave me, and they believed the word that you gave me. And in reality, that's what we have received. What the word manifests is different gifts and different signs and different things. That's the manifestation. But what we received from God, he gave us the word. And we believed it. He says, and I pray for them, and I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Yeah. 
and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Hallelujah. I love that John records this this way, the prayers of Jesus, because when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, and Jesus taught them to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As he went down in the Lord's prayers, we call it, but now as, as, as John records it from his viewpoint, and he begins to say, but when Jesus prayed and entered into prayer for us, it's not just, well, Jesus prayed this way, but what an example to the believers. Say, how ought we to pray for one another? Not just get on our knees and be going to say, oh, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, but to enter into a burden. As Jesus began to enter into a burden for those that the Father had given him, and he began to enter into it, began to commune with the Spirit that was within him, because God is a Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost that was in him. The fullness of God dwelt within him. And as he began to commune, imagine as he's, as he's speaking these words, as it's coming out from his heart and from his mind, you say, they're mine, Lord, and they're yours, and they're, what's mine is thine, and thine is mine, and because we're one. He says, Lord, I, I, you keep them. I've given them the word, and it's not just your word. It's my word. And as he begins to speak about it this way, oh, the, the oneness that the church ought to have with one another, that when we're praying for one another to enter into the burdens of one another, not because there's somebody else, but because what's mine is thine and what's thine is mine. And as he begins to speak, he says, now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep thou thine own, keep through thine own name those which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Notice the way that he prays. It's not that they would be one with us. He put that in other places. That is a part of the promise. But in this, he begins to say that they may be one as you and I are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name that thou gavest me. I, what, those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them I lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Oh, praise God. And now come I to thee, of these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Hallelujah. Keep them from the evil. Lord, help us to pray for one another in this way. Lord, not just change the situation and take them away from things, but Lord, give them the strength to stand. Give my brother and sister the strength to stand in the evil day, to withstand the trials they're going through, Lord. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through the truth, through thy truth, thy word is truth. Hallelujah. Brother Branham would say in the message oneness, he says, in his purpose as father, supreme, was to be one with his family, his earthly family. He says, Adam and Eve. And the only way that they could be one with the family or with God was because God's nature was in them. So that made them with God's nature. So that made them with God's nature in them. 
then with each other and God, they become all one. Hallelujah. By what? By the nature, as we read in Romans chapter 8, with our own nature, it's hostility towards God. It's enmity towards God, the carnal mind. But if the Spirit of Christ be in us, it behooves us to be one with God and one with one another. Let's just take a turn for a moment here, if we could, as we delve into the subject of twins. And turning northward, Brother Brenham says, no matter, what, no matter anything else or how we get it, he says, that's the way it is with any spiritual-born church. When the Catholic Church had a revival, when Luther had a revival, when Wesley had a revival, Knox and Calvin, and all down through the ages, it produced twins. When Pentecost had a revival, it produced twins. When Moses had a revival down in Egypt, it produced twins. A mixed multitude. One of the world and wants to act like the world, be like the world, pattern their message with the world. The others don't care about what the world says and how classic it looks or how unclassic it looks. They got one thing in common that's hold on to the birthright. Keep a hold of God. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it is yet today, my friends. Hold on to the birthright. Amen. He starts out in speaking about Jacob. And Jacob, he didn't care about what else was going on around him. Because what happened, there was twins birthed from Isaac and Rebekah that came forth. One of them being Esau, he had a desire for the things of the world and the nature of the world. He didn't care about the birthright. Amen. And he didn't care about the He wanted the blessing. He wanted the blessing for sure. And he was very wroth that Jacob stole his blessing. But it wasn't that you couldn't get the blessing without the birthright. And he was looking at it saying, well, I, uh, Jacob recognized what I need and what's of more value is the birthright. And I need to make sure I have that. I need to hold to that. So he was able to use um, um, Esau's desire for worldly things. Something as simple as not wanting to go hungry. It's still an issue today. Not wanting to go hungry. Not wanting to have to wonder where the next paycheck is. If it's going to cover the bills and do this and do that. And sell out for a mess of pottage. But rather Jacob, Jacob cared for one thing. And every revival down through the ages. No matter what it's been. Whether it was in biblical times. Or whether it was in the church ages. It's always produced twins. Out of every revival there's come something that's been real and true and pure. But there's also been birthed something that began to go off in its own direction. And begin to desire the things of the world. Begin to desire the nicer churches. Begin to desire the greater choirs and the greater things. That do man look wonderful and beautiful but God looked at it and says it's foolishness what God calls great man calls foolish amen and what man calls foolish God calls great why because man's always looking on the earthly things the carnal mind looking at the earthly things saying well if it ain't beautiful if it ain't pretty if it doesn't attract the attention of everybody around us then it can't be right but God says, no, I'm able to draw all those. I won't lose one. I'm able to predestinate. I'm able to call those that are mine. They will come unto me. I've prayed for them, and I know that they'll be there in the last days, but I don't need men's, men's uh, shine and glamour and gl glitz and glory in order to attract them in. What we need is the Word of God. Minister it and preach and let it produce what it ought to produce. 
Amen. Because we ought not to care about how classical our church looks or how unclassical it looks. Oh my, or whether, it lo- whether it's a great thing in the eyes of the world or whether it isn't a great thing in the eyes of the world. Whether we got lots of money or whether we got no money, whether we're popular, whether we're not popular, it doesn't matter. What we ought to care about is one thing. Is the birthright secure? Do we have the birthright? Are we sure that we're birthed into the kingdom, that this quickening power has come to the sea gene that's on the inside? Are we sure that we're the ones that God said, I love them? Hallelujah. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh my, let's jump right on down to verse 13, verse 12. It says, for the perfecting of the saints, he talks about the fivefold ministry, and he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ... Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Amen. What was the, the, the job of the ministry, the job of the fivefold ministry? To preach the word. To minister the word unto the laity. To minister to you, not just over a pulpit, but in person and counseling in every way that we can. To minister the word of God in a way that brings you to, into unity with God and with one another. To minister it in love in such a way that would bring you to a measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. That you henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cutting craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In all things, which is the head, even Christ. What's he saying? So that the body could be fitly joined so when the head comes down, it fits together. So that it comes up and it it matches up with the head, which is Christ. The headstone coming down. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Oh, hallelujah. That they may be one. Even as you and I are one. When Jesus was there one time at the wo- with the woman at the well, as he began to minister to her, he had sent the disciples away into the city there to buy food. 
to a city of Samaria to buy food. And as they went their way to buy food, we know the woman at the well came. And as he began to speak with her and went through the different things in her life, and as she went running away, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Isn't this the very Messiah? And the disciples came back up and they said, Lord, we got food. And he says, I'm not hungry. I've got meat you know not of. That you may be one. That the body may edify itself in love. See, that was a corporal body and that was a natural food, but it was a type for you to understand what he's talking about, even as the Father and I are one. That there was such a communion within themselves that they didn't go hungry. It was an edification that took place within the, within the body of Christ. Hallelujah. A type that when somebody would come and try and put some other doctrine in the church, try and put someone else and say, well, I got something else that will help feed you. You say, well, I'm not hungry. I'm a part of a body. I'm not looking for something else. I found the satisfaction in Jesus Christ. I'm a part of something that's got life in it, that is edifying itself in love. I know that it's the Christ in me and Christ in my brother. I'm not looking for another message. I'm not looking for another great satisfaction because I found the satisfying power. And I know that he's in me and I am in him. Amen. And he'll be with me, even in me, even to the end of the world. He will keep me. I don't have to look for another keeper. I have the keeper. Hallelujah. Oh, praise be to God. That one was fresh for you. The body edifying itself in love. It's important today for all of us to understand who we are. It's easy in a day like today to have spiritual amnesia because there's so many voices in the world. That's why it's so important that we be the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. Why does he put that word in there, compacted? When something's compacted, there's no spaces in between for something to get in the middle of it, something to divide it, something to pull it apart and say, no, you're not really a part. No, it ought to be compacted together. Amen. We ought to know who we are so when other voices are speaking, we're not listening to other voices because we know our shepherd's voice. We've heard from him before and we understand his voice. We know who he is. We know when something's trying to wedge in there, the devil's trying to get a toehold and we understand, I'm not listening to that voice. Are you with me tonight? Amen. We're not interested in every other voice. We're interested in one voice, and that's the voice of our shepherd. Amen. He's able to take care of us, to nurture us. He knows what we have need of. He knows when we need minerals. He knows when we need when we're sick, and he understands exactly how to get us healthy again, spiritually and naturally. He's still there's still a balm in Gilead tonight. Amen. That's why it's so important the preaching of the hour today is a lot of preaching about who the bride of Christ is and understanding your position in Christ and understanding the authority you have in the Word of God. Why? Because we're coming up to, to, to be fitly joined and the head is coming down and we got to make sure we're right there home together. Because we're living in an age when the last, last one that comes up is brotherly kindness and the capstone comes down on that. And it's the Holy Ghost that does the honing on top of it. Because it's by one spirit we're all fitly joined together. Amen. Hallelujah. I've been told this before by ones that aren't believers and that have told me, well, Andrew, you really need to preach the cross more. Thank you. I do preach the cross every service. Because if you're preaching the rapture, you're preaching the cross. 
Because that was the purpose of the cross. Was to sanctify a bride to present her spotless and virtuous and sinless to himself. Hallelujah. Oh my. Think about it. Brother Benham says in recognizing your days, his message says, National force will put the church in the world council of churches. But the power of God will put the people in the bride. See, the world forces this way and the world forces that way, but God forces upward. The Spirit of God, which is the Word of God, my Word is Spirit and life, will put the bride in her place because she'll recognize her position in the Word when she's in Christ. Oh my, when she's in Christ, we'll put her in her place. No national force will do it. There's no other voice. When the body's fitly joined together and compacted, the only thing that moves her is the spirit that is within her. But the national force will drive, did drive Israel to the homeland, and national force will drive the council of churches. It will drive every organization into it, but the power of God will raise the bride into glory. Oh, praise be to God. Hallelujah. If we could just catch the revelation of who we are. And we could be raptured. The Reverend says, what is faith? Faith is a revelation. Faith is something that's revealed to you. That it's not yet, but you believe it will be. Faith is a revelation of the will of God. So by revelation, hallelujah, it says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Faith is a revelation of the will of God, and it only comes by hearing the word when he makes it real to you. Faith is not based on miracles. It's not based on healings. It's not based on gifts. Faith is based solely upon the word of God. The miracles and the healings and the gifts are bound to follow your faith. But faith is based on the word. Future home, Brother Brown says, if you, are of the, if, you are, if, if you are the bride, the bride is a part of the husband. The only place you'll ever recognize it is to recognize what part of that husband, the word, you are. Or you can't recognize being the bride. Oh my, you won't recognize it any other way. You can listen to every YouTube preacher that's out there. You won't recognize it that way. You can listen to everybody that wants to talk about, well, Brother Branham was true. You won't recognize it that way. You need to be in the word. You need to recognize what part of the word you are. What part of the husband you are. See, you have to recognize your position. If you know where you're standing, then even a minister could come and preach something that's not true. And you'll know it. You'll catch it. Because the stabilizers are on the ship. I said to a brother today, I said... Fellowship on the phone, I said, the stabilizers, I believe, are on the ship. We got to be careful 
that and understand being in the ship, we are in the water. You don't have to jump overboard to understand what it's like to be in the water. Satan, if he can't pull you back, he'll try and push you too far. You don't go try and jump off the ship and be like, praise God, we're in the water. Yeah, I know, I'm on the ship, it's floating. Get back on the ship. It's the ship that's going to take us over. You can't swim it. Hallelujah. Yes, I know, Ezekiel says there's waters even to swim in. It's deep, you can't reach the bottom of it. Well, don't try. You're going to get lost down there. Get back in the ship. Get back on stable ground. All right. Let's regroup. Trust the seed that's in you. Trust that part that came from God. If it's ever been quickened by the Spirit of God, then you have a sure foundation. By a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the foundation of the stature of perfect man? Faith. It's the foundation. It's the bottom. It's the starting point. You say, well, I, I, I'm not sure what I'm saying. If you've ever had that seed quickened in you, it's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. Is the new birth. That is the sure foundation. In other words, that's something to build on. You could ask the home builders near. How many houses you ever built that you laid the foundation and went, I got shelter now? You don't crawl under the foundation and try and shelter from the elements. You build on it. Right? But it's a sure foundation. You need that there for it to be solid. So that something that's built upon it doesn't sink and doesn't fall and doesn't break. But you need that sure foundation, that faith, that revelation of who Jesus Christ is personally to you. Now you can build upon that. Oh, my. Let's go back to the beginning for a moment. Genesis chapter 2. Pull these twins a little bit out. Praise the Lord. Is it okay if I take my time a little bit? Just go slow enough. I thought as I was studying, I've got two different series I've been studying on, and I don't know where the Lord will take them, but then as I was in the back office, God was giving me this, and so <laughs> here we are, and I'm not going to get through it today. Don't worry. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the, Lord told, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's a, that's a direct commandment. We know if we go over into chapter 3, and we'll go to chapter 3, verse 22, but if we start it out in... And uh, you can just put verse 22 of chapter 3 up there, Brother Danny. But if you start out in chapter th 3, you begin to see the conversation between Eve and the serpent. 
And really, and, and we could take it and we can understand really where, where Eve began to go wrong wasn't in, the beginning of it wasn't in believing the devil's lie. It was the fact that she even started to reason the word. That she even started a conversation to say, he said, what did the Lord say? Hey, you know what the Lord said. I don't have to explain it to you. But she began to say, well, the Lord said, thou shalt not eat of this tree. And he began to reason with her. What happened? Something between Adam and Eve that should have been compacted so tightly together. There should have been no room for anything to slip in there. Eve began to open that up. We're going to just open it a little bit for the devil to put a little thought. And he ravished her. And we know the sin in the Garden of Eden. What was it? It was adultery. It was sex right there. Serpent got to her first. But now if we jump down into verse 22, what happened and how that, oh, all these things happened. And Adam right away began to blame the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. God just cursed the serpent. And he, then he brought a curse upon the woman, a curse upon the man. As he said in verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. It no longer speaks about the way of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. To keep the way of the tree of life. It was to guard one thing and that sword was flaming because it was a sword of judgment. That was there guarding the way to the, garden of, uh, to, the, to the tree of life. But in the garden we see two trees there. It was God and it was Satan. We take it easily. Brother Bram would talk about in the church age book. And he would say, use, use different scriptures to back it up. I think we're all believers here. But he'd say, if the tree of life is a person... He says, the life that is in the sun, since this is so, the tree in the garden has to be Jesus. If the tree of life is a person, then the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a person also. It can't be otherwise. Thus, the righteous one and the wicked one stood side by side in the midst of the garden of Eden. Twins. You have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The wicked one, the righteous one, and the wicked one standing there side by side in the Garden of Eden. They were able to eat of the tree of life. They weren't commanded, don't partake of that tree. They were commanded, don't partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We read in the scripture, Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. Don't partake of that tree, but of the tree of life. You can partake of that tree, just not this other one over here. See, what was it? But they were standing there, twins, in the Garden of Eden, and there was a revival going on. This was the first revival. Every time they come back to the tree of life, what was it? Eternal life. That they were partaking of this tree and partaking of it, but there was twins that had come forth from it. One was the wicked one and one was the righteous one, but it first had to take on the life. And the life was the one that it was, the, 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 the life was the was Lucifer that began to come down as he was cast out of heaven. Oh my, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Forgive me. 
well, there's two trees in the Garden of Eden. We see God and we see Satan, but they were not to partake of the tree of knowledge. But out of that tree came the serpent seed. It wasn't the partaking of the fruit. It was written in an allegory. Amen. We know that. But because, because God is the life giver, that's why Eve could say in chapter 4, I've gotten a man from the Lord when she birthed Cain. Because God is the one who gives life. All life comes from God. But in this, it was, it was twins, and every revival has always produced twins. He says it was twins in Cain and Abel that came out from it. As we find from that, that there was Cain that came from the wicked one, and there was Abel that came from Adam. Twins that were birthed. Two different natures, though. Two different purposes. Two different ideas of life. One was a tiller of the ground. One was a shepherd. One had a nature that was pleasing to God. One had a nature that was not pleasing to God. One had a nature that when he got a revelation, he looked at the word, he began to ponder upon God. How did he get this revelation to, to slay a lamb? Because his thoughts were on the Lord. His thoughts were on what had happened. His thoughts were on the, the, the sheep, and it was on what had happened in the garden. It was on what God had done and what God was doing. And he was looking at the prophet of that day, which was Adam, as he was looking at him, listening to the stories that Adam was telling, as Adam would have begun to tell Abel about the, what had happened and all of the things that had gone on in the Garden of Eden as he began to tell, oh, think about it. <laughs> How God raises up a prophet into the eternals and begins to show him things and he brings it down and he begins to part, he begins to part it unto the people so we could understand things that are to come. Here was Adam. He was the only one, him and Eve, that were there in the Garden of Eden. But as he come out of the garden and as Abel was born and Cain was born, he began to preach to them the word of God that he'd gotten from God in the eternals of the Garden of Eden and he began to preach it to them and one of them received it and one of them rejected it. Because the word came forth out of, from Adam, he began to preach. It was a bloody lambskin that God put on us. And that was the covering for our sins. And Abel took that and said, Amen, that's the truth. And he took that lamb and he began to slay it and offer it upon the sacrifice. Because he had received the word for his day. But the other one that rejected it still wanted to worship God. But he came with his own revelation. Twins down to the Bible with Twin purposes, but going in separate directions. Oh, praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. We find it was the same way as we preached about Jacob and Esau. Jacob desired something from God. He would desire the birthright. And after he'd gone out and he'd gotten his wives, Rachel and Leah, he'd come back and he wrestled with an angel. When he wrestled with the angel, his desire wasn't help me against my brother. No, it was bless me. I want a touch from God. I want more from God. He does something about the things of the heavenlies were, 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 were true attractive to him. But to Esau, that wasn't attractive to him. He came with 400 mighty men. He came with the things that man called great and thought, I, I'm going to go down and meet my brother. But here Jacob said, I'll just come in lowliness. I'll just send out gifts because a soft answer turneth away wrath. Because he said, I've met with God. Hallelujah. And we look at what happened even in the life of Jacob as you look down further into Jacob. And oh, Esau, he's so, he's so 
valued the things of the world, that he was the one that when he began to give birth to his children, he got Duke so-and-so and Duke so-and-so and Duke so-and-so. He began to create a system of man, a system based on honor and based on birth and based on royalty and all these things. But he began, it was a knockoff of the real birth. That was the birthright that Jacob had. He didn't need a Duke and an Earl and a King and a Pope and a this and a that. What he needed was a birthright of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he recognized if you can get a hold of God, it'll take care of everything else. Hallelujah. So come down this way, and Jacob, even when he come, and they came to Shechem, and we know what happened at Shechem where his, his sons, they slew, they, they lied to them, and they got all of the men to be circumcised, and then they went in, and they slew them, and took all the women and the children captives, and took all their goods and everything. Jacob was wroth before them, and he, he wasn't sure what to do, but God spoke to them, and it spoke unto Jacob, and said, come back up to Bethel. What happened in Bethel? It was a place where he saw a ladder had for a pillow of stone. It was a place where God promised him, until I've performed all that I will sh- I've said unto thee, I will not leave thee. Amen. He said, come back to this place. Sometimes things happen in our lives that we look at and it's so beyond our control. And it gets something all riled up in our righteous indignation. We say, why is this happening? It's beyond my control. Why did this happen to me? But we get to listen to that seed gene of God on the inside, the spirit of God that begins to speak and say, come back to me. Come back to that place, that little secret room of prayer. Come back down and just begin to shut yourself in with God again and recognize all those things of this world. That's not even important to you. We don't need to be worried about those things. We need to be worried about one thing. Let's get me alone with God again. Let me have that sweet hour of prayer. Don't let my, oh Lord, don't let my satisfaction be a a couple hours on YouTube and be my relaxation on some video and be my relaxation talking to so-and-so and on social media and this and that. Let it be a sweet hour of prayer where I could get along with God and he could commune with me and I with him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, take me down under the altar. Every revival produced twins. Jesus and Judas. What a wonderful revival. The greatest anointing that had ever been on the earth was in Jesus. Right beside him was a man named Judas. Jesus performed the word of God to perfection. Never missed a beat. Walked perfectly in step. He was God. But right beside him was one that performed all the signs and all the wonders and was given power even by God to cast out devils and all these things, but he was the son of perdition. He did all these mighty works and mighty miracles and all kinds of things, but Jesus said, I don't even know you. He went, there were so much twins that when Jesus was hung up on a tree, Judas went and hung himself on a tree. There were so much twins, but in separate purposes. But yet they were twin purposes. Because as the purpose of God was to fulfill the word in Jesus. Though in a rebellious way, Judas fulfilled the word. said, I haven't lost one, save the son of perdition, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Satan thinks he's got his own way and he's got his own purpose and he's doing his own thing, but Satan does God's bidding. 
Satan has performed more scripture. He said, really, Brother Andrew, give me a scripture. Okay, sounds good. There was a man named Elijah one day that prophesied. The dogs will lick your blood, Ahab. And there come a time when Micaiah was praying and he was praying and he saw and he saw a vision and he seen a lying spirit, Satan, the father of lies, come up before God and say, I can get your word to be performed. Let me obey the scripture. (laughs) But that's the best of his tactics. He's a tool in the hand of God. Because every revival produces twins with twin purposes that they go about in the same way. They're going their own directions, but it's for a reason. It's to glorify because Brother Ram says the fact that there's a counterfeit proves that there's a real. The fact that there's something that's fake proves that there's a real. The fact that there's something that's a knockoff proves that there's something that's not a knockoff. It's what the other thing was based off of. Praise be to God. Each generation has its own revival. A chance at the word. Each generation has its own revival. A chance at the word. That's the spoken word is the original seed. But every, genera- every revival produces twins. So there's been twins upon twins upon twins upon twins. As one goes higher, one keeps going lower. (laughs) Oh my, I got about 10 more minutes. Now remember, he, Christ, is is, is that tree of life. Contrary to the serpent's seed. He's that seed, the woman's seed. The tree of life in the garden. Unless they put forth their hands and move this tree, they'd eat the tree and live forever. He's the only tree that can be taken that you can live forever. His word is life. The word of God which, turned, which Eve turned down in the Garden of Eden. Think about these words for a minute. The word of God which Eve turned down in the Garden of Eden. Then here is Christ, the word made manifest. And when he come on earth, Christ come on earth, the tree of life. Do you believe that? And Rome, what did they do? He had to be chopped down. He was put on a tree of disgrace. Cursed be he that hangeth on a tree. He become a curse to the human race. But now then that he brings forth a bride tree, which will be the tree of life restored back to him as husband and wife in the Garden of Eden. Oh, glory be to God. By the same word and the same God made manifest in husband and wife, the same bride tree back again. 
What was she saying? Saying that, that tree that we read about in the Garden of Eden that he put a cherubim with a flaming sword and guarded it so that they wouldn't have access back to the tree of life. That tree of life come down to earth and had to be cut down. Left just a stump laying right there. Just a stump. It was chopped right down, but what was to come forth out of it wasn't the tree of life again. It was the bride tree, which is the tree of life restored back again. The exact same one, but this time in bride form. Because the first tree was in husband form, but now he says, you are the body. I'm the head, but you're the body. So he brought forth the tree, grew right back up again. Amen. The first, the first branch that came out from it was on the day of Pentecost. It didn't take long for that tree to come back. Amen. That tree's got so much life. Amen. It doesn't need a whole lot of tilling around it and dunging because it is life. But what came out of it in the first, the first branch was, it was the day of Pentecost. And it began to become the, the, the Pentecostal church began to come out of that right there in the first church age. And it become out and there come another one and there come another one. But what happened now right growing in the earth again, right side by side. You've got the tree of life is growing and the tree of knowledge of good and evil is growing again. And it's coming forth. Why? Because as the word began to come forth and as the word began to manifest and mature and come from age to age to age, the tree of life did that but the tree of knowledge of good and evil also began to come up and technology began to come more advanced and different things began women became more beautiful and all these things began to happen what was going on they were growing up there was twins coming up and twins coming up why because it was the growing off of the life oh my it was the same tree again manifested in husband and wife, as he said in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Praise be to God in bride form. It wasn't that, oh, it's just all bride. No, we need to be attached into the vine because he is the trunk. He's the vine. He's the life giver. We're the fruit bearer. Oh, praise be to God. Notice, make it known. See, there's so much to so much here. He says, notice that this tree of Christ's body in the garden, making now, making his mystery known to his bride tree. This tree, the Christ body in the garden, making now his mystery known to his bride tree. Oh my, watch, redeemed by Christ, the second Adam. You believe he was? He was the second Adam. Going back home to Eden with his fallen wife, redeemed back home again. That's Christ in the church today, taking his wife back. See the threefold mystery now. God manifested in Christ. Christ manifested in the church all together to bring back the original Adam and Eve again. Man and woman, which are one, made out of the same blood, the same spirit, everything else, they're one, that they may be one, even as I and the Father are one, and so that we could be one all together. The church is the body of Christ by the Spirit, because the life is in the blood. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost that baptizes us into the body that recognizes only His body, His flesh, His Word. Oh, praise be to God. That's the body so fitly, so compacted, it doesn't recognize anything out. It only recognizes His body. It only recognizes the other one that's born of the same Spirit. It says, that's my brother. That's my sister. Amen. It only recognizes His Spirit. It only recognizes His Word. Praise be to God. 
denomination will never touch it. Oh my, it's a revelation. She knows it. So did Eve know it, but she fell. But this one knows it and won't fall because she's ordained. Hallelujah. She's ordained to not fall. Oh, I'm so thankful for the ordination of God, the predestination of God. You can say that Eve will fall, but this one. How do I know she won't fall? Not because she's so great, but because my life is in her. And I made sure I put a seed within her because I chose her and I predestinated her and I've already potentially glorified her. She's ordained not to fall. She won't fail. She's predestinated to it. Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. In the Garden of Eden, the devil took man's head. That was where he chose his place. But God took his heart. Oh, oh, (laughs) Oh, praise be to God. That's the throne of God. Where God dwells, it's in the human heart. God dwells in the human heart, but you are the body of Christ. Where's the heart? It's in the body. Satan chose the mind. But he said, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. This body of Christ is not conflicted by the mind of the devil. Because God dwells in the body. It's in the heart that he chose his place. He enthroned himself in his own bride. But he also came down and capped off the bride with his own mind. Hallelujah, because we're now in the age, we've gone beyond the vision. The vision was the prophet that was here. That's the seer. But now we've gone beyond that into the intelligence. The very mind of God. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope that makes sense to you because, man, that's fresh for me. That a man or woman that's born of God will act like the kingdom they're from. Says that would make him shout. I just did. That'd make him shout because you know why? Because you've passed from death unto life. Because you hate sin. Just the same way God said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. The same spirits in the bride that says, I can't love sin. I hate sin. I hate the things of the world. I hate this whole devil and all that he stands for. Because the same spirit of God that's in me that says, God so loved the world. That Eden that I made in the beginning. And I'm going back there again as husband and wife. One with Jesus Christ. Oh, because you pass from death unto life, you hate sin and you love God and you'll stand regardless if you die or if you don't die. You'll stand, for, you'll stand that it's wrong and call wrong, wrong and walk upright before God. It shows that your spirit, the life that is in you is from another place. Amen. Where it's holy and pure and virgin and undefiled. Oh, that's why we can't stand the things of this world, the sin and the debauchery and all the things that are going on. I don't even have to name it. You know exactly the names you can put to it. It's sin. It's Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. It's as it was in the days of Noah when the imaginations of man's heart was continually evil before God. It's continually evil before his people. We can't stand it any longer. Why? Because we're from another place where there's none of those things. 
Oh, you say divine healing, sure, my spirit come from a place where the divine healer is. Oh, where there's, there were from the land of divine healing. Amen. Say you believe God is. Sure, I come from a land where God is. We're pilgrims and strangers here. Like Abraham and Isaac. Oh, when they were just overshadowed, when the Holy Spirit hit them, they went through the land to confess they're pilgrims and strangers. They're seeking a city whose builder and maker was God. Even in the promised land, they can look at it and say, we're just pilgrims and strangers here because there's another city that's coming. Bury me down there in the promised land because I know if I'm buried in Christ, I'll rise again with Jesus Christ. So is it today in the spiritual that if we're buried in Jesus Christ, this flesh that is dead is made alive again, quickened by the power of God. Oh, and now we've got the evidence of it living in us. The evidence of that city, the down payment of that city. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord living within us. How much more should we be pilgrims and strangers walking through the world, turning our heads from the evil things because we are of another nation, another people, a peculiar people. Let's turn over to Psalms chapter 4 and we'll close with this scripture. Psalms chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of man, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will the sons of How long will this world turn the glory? Because we were given dominion over the earth. It's to be our glory. How long will they turn it into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the God has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. What was Christ communing with? His own heart. Commune with your own heart. The God that is within thee. And be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Their corn, their wine. The gladness that is in us is greater than the gladness in the world. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. If you're suffering with sleep apnea, just take this scripture. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only maketh me to dwell in safety. Let's stand to our feet.
Every musicians come. Oh, the Lord is wonderful. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who hides in him. Hallelujah. There's twins. But I believe we're of the one of that bride tree growing with the life of Christ. There's another tree growing right up beside us, and they're so close, the branches become intertwined. But oh, it's known by the life that's in you. I was the other day, I'll just share the stories. It just come to me. I have, as many of you, if not all of you, have been out to my house, and I have on the hill in the back of my house all of those trees that are just growing up there, big group right on the hill, side of the hill. There were some of them this spring that were dead, and my wife was asking me if I could cut some down and cut the dead ones down. And I went out there to cut them down, and I, I looked, and I said, oh, I think this one's dead, and I was about to cut. And as I looked again, and I pulled the branches apart, I was about to cut a live one. You couldn't tell just by standing there. The branches had become so intertwined. Just by looking at it, I couldn't tell which one was the living and which one was the dead. I had to pull them apart. But it's known by the life that's in. As soon as I could see it, there's leaves on that one. That's the living one. That's the dead one. Oh, it's the one over there. I've got to cut that one down. That's why he come. John the Baptist came and said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. There's a tree that was cut down in that time. Both trees, but they've grown up again. Twins. And now we're coming to harvest time. When the life that's in the trees will be manifested. By their fruits you shall know them. Hallelujah. The voice of my beloved, behold, he quickly comes. Leaping over the mountains, over the hills he runs. Oh, I long to hear his voice. I long to hear his say. Arise, my love, my fair one, come away. Oh, it's manifesting time. The fruits are all divine, and the love you want is coming in place.
Oh, when we shall see him, we'll know him. For we'll be like him. Oh, praise be to God. Why don't we sing one more song and I'll invite Brother Ed to come. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who love all Stay. 